morning church. Good morning brothers and sisters. It's a real privilege, although it's uh, an exciting privilege and a bit of a nervous one to be up here and to introduce a subject um, that is so much in my heart and it's an activity that the church right from its conception has been doing and um, it's also an activity that we saw last week a group um, from America come all the way over I don't know how many miles uh, to do and you probably guessed it's evangelism <laughs> one or two <laughs> yeah said a guy on the streets in Lewisham as we were preaching he said yeah I want to Say something to you. You say, oh, poor accent. <laughs> do you get, you get paid for doing this? That's what he said. Do you get paid for doing this? He sees myself and Mikey out preaching. And he wants to ask, are we doing it for the love of money? And my reply was, actually I do. <laughs> I'm a missionary. The mission pays me to preach the gospel. However, I said to him, before you get on your high horse, <laughs> that Mikey wasn't there, but the guy you see standing on the podium, he does it for free. He doesn't get paid. And the other team, people like Shirley, uh, Andrew Carnegie, who's not here, they're not getting paid. They're doing it for the love of God. They're sharing the gospel, not being paid. And I also told him, before I was in the mission, I was sharing the gospel with people. In fact, before I was incorporated into the Church of Jesus Christ and baptized, I was sharing the good news of Jesus Christ wherever I went. I had an experience in my room. I, I, the Lord uh, brought repentance. I said, Lord, I'm going to serve you. But I didn't want to go to church. However... I went around sharing the gospel because this is what Christians do. It's our identity, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my talk uh, this well afternoon is basically the whole church is actively involved in evangelism. And I must admit, for a long time I would have put up there, the whole church is involved in evangelism and probably miss out the, the capital letters, actively, actively involved. I mean, we can be involved in evangelism through um, uh, praying for evangelism, you know, reading about it, even teaching on it, and supporting it financially, but actually doing evangelism. This is the thing I want to stress. Doing evangelism. Yes, it's great that we can support it, we can pray for it, you can encourage us in it. But doing evangelism and the whole church actively involved in evangelism. Uh, before I go into my, my, um, the scripture verse, I'm talking about evangelism, I want to define it and just give a few pointers 
Uh, before, just before I do that, um, so in, in the Bible, there's no word evangelism as such, but there is the word evangelist. And it's recorded a number of times, three times. And it's recorded in 2 Timothy 4.5. It says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And this is the instruction of the Apostle Paul given to Timothy, a pastor. Pastor, do the work of an evangelist. So the word evangelist is in the Bible and the Greek form You know Langestes, I think. I don't know if I got that right. And it literally means a messenger of God. The EU meaning well, and angelos meaning messenger, and denotes a preacher of the gospel. So the re- root meaning of the word relates to sharing or speaking about good news. Something which we all do. Hence we all in our daily lives, are evangelizing. When we tell our friend the good news about, say, overcoming the fear of being married and getting married, or sharing the fact that we've been blessed with a child. This is good news. And you share it. For some of us, we can't wait to share it. Even if we've been told, oh, come on, keep, keep it down, keep it down. <laughs> We want to bring out, it's it's busting to come out, this good news. And I say this because evangelism is not a, a dirty or negative word. It's something we all do. We're evangelizing as we go around. We're sharing the good news with people. And as Christians, the good news is termed as the gospel. Namely, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been going through a series about the whole overview of the Bible. And the whole Bible speaks of Jesus. And the whole Bible points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it is good news. It is the ultimate good news. The good news of good news. Why? Because it comes from the ultimate good. The ultimate good. Jesus said, God alone is good. Uh, John 3, 16. Just another, if we put that up on the board. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, we will perish if we have sin in our hearts. And we have sin. We're all sinners. And it's the sin aspect that God deals with. with. And God, in and through Jesus, deals with man's sin. That robs him of so much. It's sin that causes so much. Including a life of eternal happiness. Yet through Christ, he saved us also from eternal damnation. A slight aside before I go on this. I think of a man on the, on, the, on, the, um, on the streets we kind of meet with. And one of the things he, he's, um, 
his heart is, is for, um, he wants to be happy. He wants to be happy. That's what he's searching for. He wants to be happy. And I'm telling you if, you, if you're searching for happiness after facing the Lord Jesus Christ, you, there's no happiness for you. It's eternal misery. There's no happiness outside the Lord. And that's God's word. have to be reminded of this. It is the ultimate good news because it offers us the means to deal with sin. Since no matter what good news anyone can give us, I could say, basically, at the end of the day, I'm going to die. I'm going to have to face my maker. And that good news you're giving me ain't going to take me through. I'm going to face the judgment. So ultimately, it is good news. I don't know if you put this uh, thing about Michael Green. Did you put that up? You probably didn't. No, okay. Michael Green, these are... Ideas on evangelism. Michael Green says, he's a well-known uh, Anglican evangelist, evangelism in the strict sense of proclaiming the good news to men and women with a view to their conversion to Christ and incorporation in his church. This relates to the great commission of making disciples and not decisions i.e. not so-called leading the person to the sinner's prayer or that so-called person saying, giving his life to Christ. We want true repentance and a true giving of life and submission to Christ through his church. I can show you a person who's given his heart to the Lord and he's done the sinner's prayer. And I think Mikey knows him, actually. But we, see, we still see him walking the streets. He's still under the influence of the alcohol. He's still a Hindu. There's no change. Yet at one time, we did rejoice because we kind of led him to the sinner's prayer. But thank God, through our ministry, we do see conversions. And God is in the business of seeking to save the lost. And finally... God himself is an evangelist. For he preached the gospel beforehand unto Abraham. Galatians 3.8 It says there, Scripture foresaw that God will justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. God proclaiming it. God the evangelist. So, I haven't gone into my text yet. So, I hope that when I do, none of us would have any form of negative thoughts when I talk about evangelism or doing or evangelizing um, people. Our, re our, our reading, what I'm going to look through, is um, Acts um, 8, I believe, um, 1 to 8. I wonder if we can have it, and I'll um, start the reading. And I'm reading from the NIV. And, and Saul approved that they're killing him, that Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, 
And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city from God's infallible word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the great evangelist, may you teach us how important this activity is in the life of your church. I pray this through the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of the, in the, power of the Holy Spirit, and for the glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. The whole church actively involved in evangelism. I wonder if we can have the, uh, the scripture verse up on the, the whole Acts, if it's possible. So I've just read about a great persecution that's come about, and that's in verse 1. And it's happened, and I'm paraphrasing the, the uh, Acts 7 beforehand. It's happened uh, through Stephen who could not keep his mouth shut about Jesus. He was sharing about Christ. He was debating and also informing certain Jews that basically they have been rejecting God's message of salvation, the gospel, ever since the time God took the Jews out of Egypt. This made the Jews mad and they stoned Stephen and hence we have a persecution. So um, Acts 8, 1 is the um, verse, if it's possible, when we're looking at. So this passage relates to the church. As you see there, great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. And that was established by Christ 2,000 years ago. And it's often termed the early church. And it is what most Christian groups would align themselves or most Protestant groups would seek to um, base a lot of their, their life, their foundations upon this church. It's a model church. And before I do go in it, I think it's important for I think, us to know that some things in the church continue, but often in a slightly different form in our Christian faith. And what I mean is this, that we don't have apostles as such, i.e. founders of the church, who were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we do have apostolic church in the sense that we are, our teaching is based on the apostles. And we bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, though we've not seen it like the apostles. We don't have the office of evangelists to the, the effect that we're operating in signs and wonders, but we do have evangelists who can still proclaim the message. We don't have one church such as here, but we do have many churches who make up one church. 
We don't have a church that operates church discipline as in Ananias and Sapphira where the Holy Spirit came down because they were holding back the, you know, certain was give to the church. And maybe if we look around, and I think to myself, I have to say, praise God. <laughs> no, no, it's not funny because the amount of times I promise the Lord this, and I don't. It's awful. Not, probably not a joking matter. But we do have a church that operates church discipline. We don't have a church that is basically Jewish in, you know, in its identity, but we have now a church made up mostly of Gentiles with a few Jews. And we don't have a church with members who are eagerly selling their, their property and giving to the church. But do we, we do have a church that is giving. It does give, but maybe not to the effect. So what I'm saying is that things in our church does come down and does continue, but not exactly in the same form. And I say this because as I go through this, I don't want us to get sidetracked that what does come down and what is a norm is evangelizing. That comes down, evangelizing. So we have our church here. Were they actively involved in evangelism? Amen. <laughs> and let's see it more intimately. In our passage reading from verse 1 to 3, we see a persecution of the church. And it says, All except the apostles were scattered. So the apostles were part of this church. But they weren't moved by the persecution. Now, did these men actively evangelize? Did the apostles of the church evangelize? I'm asking the question. A nod, yeah. Amen. They did. They're apostles, but they evangelized. Acts 2, 38 to 40. This is what Peter says, an apostle. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The Spirit has come down at Pentecost and, a, and it draws a large crowd. And Peter the Apostle uses this opportunity to preach the gospel and to evangelize. And we could also show, leading, up to, um, leading on to our passage in Acts, that the apostles through Peter, at every opportunity, they used the opportunity to share the gospel. The time when they healed the blind man, Peter and John, when they were before the authorities, they shared the gospel. And even when the authorities told them not to go and preach his name, not to evangelize, they continued to share God's saving message. And in fact, I think we have a remarkable verse, and I want to put it up. Acts 5, 41 to 42. It says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. 
brothers and sisters, they counted it worthy to suffer disgrace for the name in evangelism. Not just evangelizing, but they didn't mind being insulted. And I, I've got to put my hand up. This is where God is working on me. I, I, I'm quite timid as a person. And I must admit, when somebody slams the door or says something negative against Christianity, it, it, it puts me back. I don't want to preach. I feel like I'm under the... But these apostles, they were... They did a lot. But they counted it worthy and it didn't prevent them from going on and preaching. And this is a far cry or difference from us as a church. And we have got to, we've got to admit it. Fear of man often stops us. The apostles were not just willing to share, but willing to suffer in sharing the message of salvation. So part of our church and our passage, we have apostles, and we see them evangelizing. Now we were told there were those, apart from the apostles, who were scattered. And that's, that's the wrong, Acts 8, and I think that's verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those apart from the apostles preached the word wherever they went. And who are the those? Amen. And one of them, in, if in, verse, in verse 5, Philip, who is part of the those. Can we put up that verse? Philip is one of the those. I think it's a different one, in those days. He was one of the seven, is that one? I mean, I can... Um, okay, I'll read it anyway, it doesn't matter. So Philip is one of the those. He is one of the seven, and this is what he says about uh, the seven. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of, and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnabas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Philip was appointed with the rest of the seven to deal with the day-to-day -day church issues, i.e. wait on tables, and also to help facilitate the apostles with the ministry, i.e., and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word, which means evangelizing the apostles. So then, part of the seven's role was actively helping to support those who evangelize. Yet from our passage, was Philip of the church evangelizing? If we can just maybe leave Acts 8, uh, 1 to, to 8. If we leave it up there, it might help everyone, and I'll just do the other ones. Yeah. 
Thanks very much. Thanks, Eve. Yep, as you see, I've asked the question, was Philip evangelizing? Though he was a minister, though he was called to minister and wait on tables, was he evangelizing? Yes, it does. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah, proclaimed the Christ. And we can see, as we go on and we look in this uh, chapter, if you went on, Philip also goes on and preaches to the, the Ethiopian eunuch, an African. And such is Philip's desire and anointing and calling. We, re, we later read about this man. Uh, don't turn to it. Keep, keep that one on a side. In Acts 21.8, this is what it says about um, uh, Philip. On the next day... We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Remember, he's appointed as a deacon to wait on tables. He's now the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist. So effective was his preaching, miracles, ministry, that there was said to be joy in the city. At verse 8. So there was great joy in the city. So now we've looked at two people, or two groups. The apostles, who incidentally had the right to income from their ministry. So the, the whole church provided for the apostles. So they were paid ministers, and they evangelized. And we also have Philip, a minister in the church, often classed as a deacon, and they were both evangelizing. However, in verse 4, it talks about those. And those are apart from the apostles. And those ain't just Philip alone. It's not just the minister. It's more than the minister. It's more than the deacon. And who are the those? Well, if we, we're not going to point to it, but if we went back in our chapter, we would see in Acts 2.41, it talks about those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, i.e. the church was about 120. Uh, at Pentecost, Peter had, a ch um, Peter had his chance to preach to the, 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 the Jews that were coming, i.e. evangelize, and it grew to 3,000. Then it goes on later and it says, Acts 4.4, 4. but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So the those now are 5,000 strong. And we read about the same those in Acts 4.29. They say, now Lord, and this is after Peter and John have been released uh, from the authorities. The whole church now saying this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. The whole church is praying for boldness so that we can speak the word. So we've got 5,000 
12 are not apostles. Oh, of them, 12 definitely. So we got, if you have 5,000, 12 apostles, six deacons, that's 4,988. Who are they? They are the church members. The yous. Not the official workers of the church. If you or we are part of that church of the day, we will be the ones preaching wherever we went. Imagine that. These men and women knew the apostles preach and they supported them. Yet they themselves did preach the word wherever they went. And this is what is stated in God's word. We see it. We see it here. Verse 4. It further says in Acts 11, 19 to 20. Now those who had been scattered, the same church, not apostles, not um, deacons. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only amongst Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. There was no official apostles or evangelists directing them. It was them going. And it was them also, the congregation, doing cross-cultural evangelism. It says it. You haven't put it up. Oh, you have put it up there. Thanks. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. It's the church, the those, us, the church doing it. This makes the whole church involved actively in evangelism. The whole church. None excluded. I labor on this because I know we have an enemy, the devil, and he is against the church doing this. And I know as Christians per se, and even me, we come up with a, a myriad of excuses not to evangelize those who we come into contact. But God, in his wisdom, by his example of the church we see, has shown us Christians preach the message wherever they go. And I thank God it's in his word. So how does this affect us here at Ecclesia? I believe it's an activity we should all do, just like praying. And so sometimes we say, well, how's my prayer life? I might say, how's my evangelism doing? And I might be looking for things to improve on it. Now, I was talking to, to Mike P. I, I kind of know you, but I don't really know you, and I don't know where you guys are at in terms of wanting to evangelize in your homes, in your, amongst your colleagues, in the workplace. And I realize that 
you know, in life, it, we do have a lot of difficulties. There might be troubles. You might be having troubles at work, uh, in the home. You've got maybe have a, a lot of commitment here in the church. You're committed to all sorts of things. And you might be saying, well, boy, I'm giving you further responsibility that, you know, you're to evangelize. You might be right, fully burnt out now. You might be wanting to hear a more uplifting message. Perhaps you feel it's not the time to hear this. Brothers and sisters, I think we need to be reminded that part of the good news we have is that God has chosen us with this divine privilege to be carriers of the wonderful message. It's not a burden. Sharing the gospel isn't a burden. If we even look in our passage, Acts 8, that we've been looking at, we could see that the church here were burdened. They were persecuted. In verse 3, it talks about, no, verse 2, it said, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. This is a church with a loved one killed. Distressing. This is a distressing time. There are persecution. They've been scattered. Their homes are messed up. They were forced to move to new areas like Monday refugees. But we don't see them thinking, boy, things are quite tough, or life can be quite draining, or even demanding, or it's not quite the time, or I can't share the gospel because I don't have the time. They preached the message wherever they went, even the hostile areas, Samaria. Or you might be here saying, well, you know, I've heard it all before. I'm going to say, praise God. <laughs> You're going to be doubly armed <laughs> with preaching wherever you go. Peter, the apostle, wasn't averse to repeat things. And he repeated them so that Christians took it in. And it stuck with them. And they put it into practice. Last week, Shema. That was with our brother Jason, well. <laughs> or you may even relegate this talk to, you know what? Yeah, you're telling me evangelism, but, but you ain't showing me how specifically to, to do the evangelism. Where well, in one sense in two weeks, I believe, Mikey B will be up here talking a bit more practically in terms of evangelism, hopefully answering a few Objections and that. However, we 
We are learning lots about evangelism, and we can learn a lot from the church here. We can learn from the apostles who had that spirit and were keen to evangelize in every situation. And we have the immortal words of the apostles. I think they are mortals, where they say, it is better to obey God than man. It is better to obey, obey God than self. And especially our sinful self, selfish self, that relegates evangelism to a lesser importance. We can learn from the, the deacons. I'm calling them deacons, Philip and, St Philip and Stephen, to a lesser, cent, lesser extent, who was in the, the previous uh, chapter, Acts 7. Though they were involved in church affairs and serving in the church, this didn't stop them from evangelizing or even developing a gift of evangelism, i.e. being called to evangelize, to be an evangelist. And maybe someone here is being called to be an evangelist. So if you're a worship leader, you still evangelize. If you're a Bible professor, you still evangelize. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you evangelize. If you're a missionary, you still evangelize. And if you're a member of a church, you still evangelize. Sharing good news, sharing good hope, sharing life. When I say evangelism, that's what it is. It's not a dirty word. It's a great word. And we want to learn from the church and the congregation who in spite of their trying circumstances, that they were oppressed and they were despised people, they took up the mantle of sharing their faith, as we see. Even in the, in the aspect of they had to get on with their life, build homes, build new communities, they were sharing. And lastly, my last point, we see in Acts here that God orchestrated an explosion of evangelism due to the, the circumstances of persecution. Verse 4, if we get the... It said, those who had been scattered... That's the word. It says scattered. It doesn't say those who willingly or were keen and eagerly to go and preach the gospel. They were scattered. And I believe there's a reason because historically the Jews were very insular. And though Christ came to them first, they were reticent to pass it on to the others. Perhaps it's like certain cultures <coughs> thinking that certain things are for their culture only. Perhaps reggae for just Jamaicans <laughs> and not sure for anyone else. <laughs> it's ours. <laughs> the Messiah for the Jewish people and no one else. But God has allowed the persecution to come about to get the 
the Jews to the places he has stated that the church should be witnesses of. Acts 1.8. It's very, very important and for us and how this affects us. Acts 1.8. I'll read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These were Jesus' words after having risen from the grave and he spent 40 days on the earth instructing the apostles and just before he's going up, he says, but you, i.e. the apostles, and to us will we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now I can see that the church possibly obey the call to be witnessed in Jerusalem and Judea. But Samaria? Are they gonna opening are we opening gonna go to Samaria? Being called to a place where they're despised? And I give the example, it would be maybe God would be calling maybe us as a church to plant ourselves in the deep south, redneck territory, where we may face lynching. <laughs> We're not going to get a hospital. <laughs> We're not going to get tea and cakes as we go around, and they're not going to get tea and cakes as they preach. The Jews were forced, in a sense, to move into these areas for the sake of God's word. God has orchestrated this so that they may be the, the witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we see, we spoke about a chapter that as the church was going out, they're going to further places like Cyprus, Antioch, Phoenicia. The ends of the earth. And I believe now God in his sovereignty has drawn the nations, the ends of the earth, to London. The whole world is in London. Could I say the whole world is in Lucian? The amount of nations that you come across. They're here. Perhaps God has seen us, the London churches, that we aren't willing to go out to the ends of the earth. And maybe he's brought them here. But God loves people. His heart is on people, even if we the church aren't as much. He loves people. Come to seek and to save the lost. We don't need to go far to see maybe a Hindu or a Muslim. They're on our streets. They're out on family fun day. People lost. M, I mean, it's not his real name, a Sikh convert to Christianity, and he goes around sharing with uh, churches, he tells his tale of conversion 
And one of the things he often reflects, he, he keep on reflecting, he said, you know, as a Sikh growing up, he knew many Christians, and he was quite, um, you know, he had a relationship. It was a, he wasn't just like known, he was, had a relationship. And when he came to Christ, he reflected back and he, he was wondering, how is it that these Christians never told him the message of Jesus Christ? And he wanted to know, really, did, he, did they really, was he, they really his friend? Did they really love him? Did they not really want to give the real good news? Or did they want to keep it for themselves? Good news, brothers and sisters, is not for ourselves. It is for us to proclaim it, to share it. May God help us in this matter as we learn and emulate and seek to evangelize our community as we have seen in the early church. And I pray with God's help, we will. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.